This week on Double-Edged Sword, cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture, Father Gail Hammerschmidt talks about how the Eucharist saved his life. You'll find this story quite intriguing. Father Gail is being interviewed by Divine Mercy Radio's on-air host, Kelly Roper. So we want to talk about your topic, and it's an interesting topic. I'm excited to hear you talk about this, how the Eucharist saved my life. So I'm going to let you just jump into it. Yeah, well, absolutely. Thanks. But if, if we get to the topic, this uh, how the Eucharist saved my life, but I think I just wanted to start even with the idea of then, okay, well, what does that mean to save my life? And, and, and so I think the question of what does it mean to, to really live can be something that, that we, we bring up, because I'm now, you know, this is going to be shocking to people that hear it, but I'm approaching my 50th birthday. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I'm weeks away. Weeks yeah. away. And so it's a perfect time for me to reflect upon uh, my life. And, and so as I now approach my 50th birthday, I would say that, that maybe I lived half of those years closely with the Lord. And, and a good portion of those years, I was not nearly as, as close to the Lord. And so I was living. It's not like I was dead. I mean, I was living, I was breathing and, and doing things and waking up in the morning and and doing stuff. But I can promise you that the 25 years that I've been with the Lord have been, well, it's been the abundant life that He promises. Uh, I've come so that, that they may have life and have it abundantly. I think John tells us, that's John chapter 10. And so the abundant life that comes from not maybe living uh, from regrets, the abundant life that comes from feeling a contentment, that even in the midst of trials and tribulations and sufferings, things are going to be okay. Uh, it's an amazing thing, this life that one can live if you're with Christ, that no matter how difficult the sufferings might be, you know it's going to be okay. Uh, in the end, In the end, those who stick close to Jesus win. And so there's just a comfort that comes from that and, and a, an ease at which a uh, Christian's able to live that, that I wasn't experiencing in those times when I was far from, from the Lord. And so I, I think I just wanted to clarify, like, this life I'm living, and uh, I would call it, I mean, 90% of the time I'd call it the abundant life. There's still 10% of the time where I'm a, a clown and I'm not, great at actually living the life that God's calling me to live, and, and so I need to, to shape up to do better. But I, I would say, without a doubt, I would say that I'm, I'm truly, truly living. And, and I would say that it was the Eucharist that, that, that got me there. Mm. Um, maybe you could tell three, four, possibly five stories, but, but I'll start with the first, and, and then maybe, like I say, if you have any follow-up questions, feel free to to lead me in another direction or to, to guide this process. But I was a, a school teacher, and so I, I went to to K-State, Kansas State, where I'm, I'm currently the chaplain at St. Isidore's Student Center on the campus of K-State or across the street from the campus of K-State. And as the chaplain here, I can easily reflect back on my time here. 
And, and the reality is, is when I was here at K-State, I didn't spend a ton of time at St. Isidore's. And so I'm trying to make up for lost time now that I'm home. <laughs> yeah. But I, I did get a teaching job. So I was, I was so blessed to be an education major. Uh, something the Lord just put on my heart one night. I was, I was in business. I was a business major for three years before. I just remember one night I couldn't sleep and it just wouldn't go away that I was supposed to be a, a school teacher. And so I, the next day I went and changed my major and it ended up taking me a lot longer to graduate than, than I maybe had hoped. But yeah, I, I graduated from Kansas State in 1995 and began teaching uh, in 1996. I graduated December of 95, began teaching in, in August of 96. And the job that I, I basically fell into, and, and it's truly that way, I thought I'd had another job at a, at a public school, but it fell through right at the last minute. And then through some amazing circumstances, I think the Lord's hand was definitely a part of it. I ended up getting a job at a Catholic school, the Catholic school here in, in Manhattan. Uh, the name was Monsignor Lucky Junior High. And so I was teaching seventh and eighth graders. I was coaching every season, mm-hmm. teaching history, and I, I really, really loved it. But I wasn't necessarily living Christian life outside of just being a, a teacher at a Catholic school. Uh, and, and so what happened was, because there I am at the Catholic school, obviously I'm, I'm being introduced to more and more Catholic things. They even have me teaching a sixth-grade religion class. And, and I laughed because those first years that I was teaching, and again, I was living not necessarily a life that a Christian should live, mm. um, but I was teaching the faith. Mm. And and I don't know if a single one of those sixth graders heard a word that I had to say, but as it was coming out of my mouth, it was entering back into to my ears. And, and I was recognized. I was recognizing kind of the duplicity of life, <laughs> that I, the, the dual life. Uh, uh, here I, by day, I'm pretending to be this model of, of Catholicism, teaching at a Catholic school. And uh, and yet, on the weekends, et cetera, it was not so much the case. And then uh, something powerful happened. <laughs> a woman came to me and asked me to take an hour of adoration mm-hmm. at Seven Dollars Parish in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. They have perpetual adoration. And so a lady asked me if I would take an hour. And, and I'll be honest with you, I was, what, 23 years old, something like that. I, I didn't even know what she was talking about. Mm. I didn't. I, I didn't know about adoration. I'd never even seen, uh, until I was a teacher, I'd never even seen uh, a holy hour, like an hour where the Eucharist was exposed and there was incense and there was the Los Salutaris and at the end the Tom Tumergo in English or Spanish and, and the benediction where the, the priest puts on a humeral veil and all of a sudden he's doing this weird thing with this golden thing that's got the Eucharist <laughs> in the center of it. And yeah. I, I had never seen that before. And, and I think it was just maybe a sign of the times when I was growing up in the, in the 70s and the 80s that just hadn't been something that was in favor. But nonetheless, this, this lady, her name was, was Mary, which quite appropriate, right? It's Mary who introduces mm-hmm. me to, to the Eucharist, introduces me to Jesus. Mm-hmm. But Mary said, she said, uh, Mr. Hammerschmidt, which is what they called me back in the day, Mr. <laughs> Mr. H, people yeah. called me Mr. H, Mr. Hammerschmidt, I think it would be great if you did an hour of adoration. And I remember thinking, I'm sure I was kind in my words, but in my mind, I was like, woman, what are you talking about? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no. Absolutely not. And so I, I, I did something that I still do sometimes when, you know, I, I don't want to say no to somebody. I say, yeah, come talk to me about it later. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hoping that they won't. And yet, and yet she did. 
she actually came back later, uh, a month later, and, and brought it up again. So, no, 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 talk, talk to me later. And, and maybe six, seven, eight months in a row, she just continued to ask me to take an hour of adoration. And eventually, uh, instead of saying no, I just said yes to <laughs> to get her off my back. Yeah. <laughs> She's yeah. not going to stop until I say yes. And even if I would have said no, she would have still come at me. And so, nonetheless, I said yes. And I began taking an hour of adoration here in Manhattan, Thursday nights from 9 o'clock to 10 o'clock. Mm. That was my hour, 9 o'clock to 10 o'clock. And I shared that hour with Father Larry Grennan, who was the pastor of Seven Dollars Parish at that time. And, uh, wow, what a privilege. He was there. Most of the time he was a busy man, and so sometimes he would call me just to make sure I was going to be there so he could, you know, uh, continue the meeting that he was in or, or whatever it would be. And I just I had the opportunity, uh, starting probably my second year teaching. It might have been my first. I can't remember exactly. I wish I, I had the day as to when I first would have gone to that adoration chapel. But I had the, the opportunity, 168 hours in a week. I, I tell people that a lot, 168 hours in a week. Can you not dedicate one hour to, mm. to Sunday morning mass, or can mm. you not dedicate one hour to prayer? And so I was spending one hour, one out of the 168, with the Lord, powerfully, with the Eucharist. Mm. And those early years were, were wild. They were, because I talked about the, the, the dual life I was living, the duplicity of life, and it just became so abundantly clear as I would sit in that chapel and, and I remember reading a book, Reflections of the Life of Jesus. It was one of those, like, even, like, fictional characterizations of what it would have been like to walk with Jesus, to live with Jesus. I think the greatest story ever told, I read that that novel, that book, uh, at one point during those years. And, mm-hmm. and just tried to put myself even in a, a more powerful way with the Lord as he walked this earth, and obviously recognizing that there he was on the altar in, in the Eucharist. I'd be in tears. There'd be times that I would leave that chapel in tears, knowing my life, knowing how I was living, knowing how far I truly was from the Lord, and yet this tug is on my heart to 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 hold on to that one hour of adoration and the feeling I would have from being close to the Lord in that one hour. The tug was on my heart to encounter that more frequently during my week. Yeah. To make that the center and not the the partying or whatever it is that, that a 23-year-old in a college town finds himself to be involved in far too frequently. And it truly did set me on, on a path that, that, was, that was huge. And, and then and if, if I'm going to talk about how the Eucharist saved my life, I think that one point in particular, one moment in particular— that, that I would say it, it absolutely did so, and that would be the moment that I'm uh, about to talk about right now. And it was it was just one of the, the darker points of my life in that I just, as I made mention earlier, I wasn't living as I ought to have lived. And I think it just was hitting me harder than it ever had before in some of the decisions I had made. And really in the way those decisions would have hurt other people, uh, it just became very prevalent present. I was able to see it uh, and experience the, the pain that, that maybe my life was causing when I wouldn't treat other people as they needed to be to be treated. Egotistical, selfish, a lot of things that had kind of fallen into place. And 
and you know, and, and, and humans get to maybe a point of, of despair as to like, uh, am I going to be okay? Is this, is this, is this going to be all right? I mean, am I going to be able to make it out of this? And, and it just so happened that, that as I was in the heart of that, it was a, a Thursday. Huh, imagine that, a Thursday. And what did I have to do that night at 9 o'clock? Because this woman named Mary invited me to take an adoration hour. It just so happened that that night that I was feeling the, the depths of my despair, frustrated with, with myself and my behavior and who I was and who I had become, that I had the opportunity to encounter the Lord at that holy hour from 9 to 10. And it just, it changed me. That hour, that hour changed me. I walked in not knowing if things were going to be okay. I spent an hour with the Lord, and I walked out with a peace that, that it was almost unrecognizable. That, that said, no, it, the Lord didn't say to me, no, hey, you've been, you're fine, you're great, keep doing what you're doing, uh, which I think a lot of times people want the Lord to, to be that, like somebody to just, you know, give us the wink and the, the, the finger guns and, and pat us on the back and say, keep up, keep up the good work, even when we know that we're living a life that we shouldn't be living. So it wasn't that. The Lord said, yeah, you've made a real mess of things. Absolutely, you've made a mess of things. And if you continue down this path, uh, you'll die. <laughs> I think that's like a legitimate thing for him to say. Like, you'll die mm -hmm. if you continue down this path. Uh, for sure, you'll die a spiritual death. Mm -hmm. But you might even die uh, your physical death as well. You can't continue along this way. Mm -hmm. And so he, he let me know, and I could see it. I knew it. It's not like he had to point it out. I knew it. Mm -hmm. But I walked out of there with a piece that said... But if you start saying yes to me, I've been calling you for so long. If you start saying yes to me, everything's going to be okay. Mm. Trust me. Mm. And so I said, okay, I promise. I'm going to start saying yes to you, Lord. And, and legitimately, from that moment, things turned around. Things changed. And now, it wasn't immediate. It wasn't so profound that I never had any bad days those, those next months. In years, we're still uh, progress, a process of becoming holier and, and, and gaining virtue. But from that point forward, when I decided to start saying yes, things got better. In fact, the, the first yes that I was invited into was a yes to go on a mission trip. And uh, again, I was in my, what, mid-20s or something like that, and I experienced a mission trip for the first time. And I went to Garden City, Kansas on a mission, and, and that mission trip changed my life, the mission trip the next year changed my life, maybe even more so. That's the impetus for even the prayer and action mission program, was just the way in which serving those in need and praising God at night could impact a life. And so that's what, that's what I did, that's what happened. So grateful that the Lord had that set up in my life because eventually I said yes to a woman that continued to invite me to have an adoration hour, that the night that I needed him the most, he was present. He was right there. He was in the Eucharist. And I was overjoyed to have that opportunity to have him save my life that night. And so that's that's where it started. I, I, I began saying yes to him. I began to learn more about the faith. I began to learn more about, about the Eucharist. I began to hear stories about the power of the Eucharist, and it became the center of, of my life. Maybe a, another story along this path is even in the, in the whole idea of this, this mission that I was uh, starting to, to embrace and, and to love, the idea of mission trips and, 
and being a, a leader of mission trips. I uh, went to Garden City, then I went to Southern Illinois, and when I was in Southern Illinois on mission, I encountered a, a group called YouthWorks. It's a, a multi-denominational high school-aged mission program where adult leaders serve with high schoolers and guide the high schoolers. And, and so I, I loved this program so much, YouthWorks, that I applied for a job with them. Being a school teacher, I had my summer free. And so I was able to actually work an entire summer doing mission with YouthWorks. Oh, oh. Now, again, it was, uh, an interesting thing, what kind of an organization was it? Well, it was, they, they don't use the word non-denominational, they say multi-denominational, because they love it if, if Christians from all different denominations show up to do mission. Uh-huh. And so what that means is, is that I was kind of fighting the battle alone as a Catholic. I think the uh-huh. entire summer we had one Catholic group that came through uh, amongst the probably, shoot, we did something like eight or nine weeks, and we'd have four or five different youth groups each week. So maybe 40, 40 uh, youth groups came through with adult leaders. Uh-huh. And so if you have adult leaders, these are powerful leaders of their denomination who are guiding people, guiding the youth. Uh, and so they know theology, they know their denomination's teaching. And here's this Catholic, and I'm leading the whole mission in, on a, a reservation in, in Mississippi, and they find out I'm Catholic. And so you can imagine them being challenged, being challenged that, uh, that summer. And in fact, even one of the pastors of, of the church that we would go to on the reservation, a good and dynamic man, uh, he would be preaching, and every now and again, he'd just throw a, a little bit of a shot out there at Catholic. And, uh, and so I had to be strong. <laughs> yeah. I had to be strong. At one point when he found out that I was Catholic, he said, oh, yeah, yeah, a lot of, a lot of the people here at our church are, are former Catholics. And I said, oh, I said, well, that's one thing I'll never be, a former Catholic. Yeah. Good for you. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. Yeah, good job. And I had a powerful experience because the Catholic presence, again, Mississippi, so it's it's not necessarily Catholic country, at least that part of Mississippi that I was in. Um, there was a Catholic church on the reservation, and I remember going to it one Sunday, and there was a priest that uh, he probably had four or five different parishes, and this was not his most important parish. There might have been 15 or 20 people total at the Mass. Uh, it was a it was a struggle bus for, you know, just even, can anybody come and read? Anybody, can anybody come and read the first reading? Anybody? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I was too much, too much of a coward to actually step up and do it. Yeah. Uh, nonetheless, nonetheless, um, I had another encounter that very mass. And I was just even reading through my reflections of that summer. And I saw how powerful it was that I had an encounter with the Eucharist mm-hmm. and the mass, even though it was, Maybe one of those masses that people would want to complain about afterwards. Yeah, the preaching was kind of boring. I didn't really know what he was talking about. <laughs> uh, the singing wasn't very good. And, you know, all, all of the stuff that we hear, yeah. mostly people say that after they leave a St. Isidore's Mass, and I've been the priest, you know. <laughs> and, uh, it doesn't happen, Father. It doesn't happen. <laughs> the stuff that people like to complain about, yeah. I could have easily complained about. Um, but I was just so deeply impacted by the fact that Jesus was present in the Eucharist and I was able to receive him, that he desired, give me life by living within me. Yeah. Even, even the definition of of grace. I still remember 
in seminary talking about how grace, we throw that word around all the time, grace. And it's, it's hard. Like, it's, it's, I would ask any of the listeners, what does that mean to you, grace? Yeah. Uh, it's hard to define. And most people couldn't. You know, maybe they'd get out their catechism and read a paragraph or two, but it would still be difficult to understand. What are we talking about here? Grace. Uh, a friend of mine, Father Ryan O'Neill, when we were in seminary together, he just said, you know what? The most basic and easiest way to understand it is this. God's life within you. That's grace. God's desire to live within you. God's gr- that's mm-hmm. grace. And, and, and so his grace, his desire to live within me, to give me life by living within me, I felt that so, so powerfully in that summer in Mississippi from the Eucharist. Mm. And, and, and I was there. I was serving the Lord. I was. I was laying down my life for him and for the high school students. And there were adult leaders that were coming through. And I wasn't getting much sleep. And I was having so much fun. And I was living my best life. But none of the preaching, none of the theological conversations, none of the talks, none of it could match what I experienced when I received the Eucharist at that reservation church with the bad preaching and, and the limited music and nobody wanting to, to step up to do the first reading. Yeah. There he was, powerfully, abundantly. And again, what did it do? It gave me life to, to be strong throughout the challenges of the rest of that summer, people coming at me hard, talking about how crazy Catholics are. Yeah. And yet I, I knew that I wasn't. And, and somebody one time even asked me, I said, well, would you ever think about leaving the Catholic Church? And I said, no, no matter what happened, no matter how much scandal would be in the Catholic Church, um, I would never walk away because that's where I find the Eucharist. And so I'd live the rest of my life trying to eliminate the scandal. I, I don't embrace the scandal. I don't love the scandal. I hate the scandal. Yeah. I hate it. But I'm going to spend the rest of my life trying to redeem the church that needs to live free of scandal so as to get the Eucharist to more people. Yeah. And 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 so it didn't matter to me. And that, that was the kind of a time when all of a sudden you're starting to hear more and more of the, the horrific scandal that has plagued the church yeah. now for far too long. But still, I wasn't, I wasn't about to leave. And, and I was reading the right stuff at that time. The more people would challenge me in my faith, the more I would learn about our faith. Um, Rome Sweet Home by Scott and Kimberly Hahn was, was huge. Every so many years, we hand out just hundreds of copies of that book to our, our students here at K-State. Um, the, the words that Scott Hahn had to, to speak about the Eucharist and how that played a role in him leaving his entire life to find his life because of the Eucharist, it's, it's powerful to me. Even even recently in the, the Liturgy of the Hours, there was some powerful stuff uh, from the Jerusalem Catechism during the Liturgy of the Hours uh, last week. You know, just stuff that, that it hits me so so hard. And, and as I was thinking about what the topic might be for me to, to speak on here this week, wow, it just seemed right. It just seemed right that I was going to speak about how the Eucharist has given me life and, and really... If you go back to some of those earlier stories uh, I've spoken, how it saved my life. Yeah. Without it, without having that opportunity to, to sit before the Lord at least one hour a week in adoration, God only knows where, where I might be right now. Might Honestly, might be a succeed under, as they say. Who, who knows? Praise God, it happened as it did, and here I am. And and I think that people who know me, they, they recognize a couple of things. They recognize, yeah, when I say, you know, I'm 90% living the abundant life and 10% of the time still an idiot. I think they know that to be true. Um, yeah, come on now. Uh, you can do better. But uh, but they do know that I, I have a life of, of joy and 
and I get to laugh and, and, and love and, and live in a way that most humans on earth don't. And it's all because of the Lord and, and His presence in the Eucharist. Excellent. And, you know, I think we could probably extend the title, you know, based on your 10% of idiot time, we could extend your title to How the Eucharist Saved and Is Saving My Life. It's a continual so thing, right? You know, and it's so and, true. Yeah. You know, so, yeah, you know, it, not only did it, it uh, save your life and get you away from, from the, you know, the, the things that, that were keeping you from being in, you know, a full relationship with God, but, but it continues for each one of us. It continues uh, every single day. My spiritual director, uh, you know, he continues to, to tell me, because if you remember when I was talking about sharing that hour with Father Grennan, uh, God rest his soul, uh, when I was talking about sharing that, that holy hour with Father Grin, and I'd say at times Father Grin would call me just to make sure that I was going to be there. Mm-hmm. And the reason he would call me to make sure I was going to be there is because he wouldn't be able to be there. And why is it that he wouldn't be able to be there? Because he was too busy being a priest, meetings or saving the world in this way or another. And guess who else finds himself in those very same shoes now? Yeah. Me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so it's even though I have the Eucharist so abundantly present to me right here in a tabernacle in the same building that I sit in as I speak to you, uh, in a chapel upstairs as we're continuing to to build our church here at St. Isidore's, there's far too many times that I I don't make the visits that I need to make Mm -hmm. to see Jesus and, and to spend that time in adoration. So what is my spiritual director continually challenging me to do? Get before the Eucharist. Yeah. Get before the Eucharist, and and so a radio show like this is really beneficial to me because so many times as we we try and figure out how do we walk forward, how do we continue into the future, it is beneficial to look to see what has worked yeah. in the past and to absolutely then continue along that path, and and, and so it's a, a continual challenge for me to continue to get before before the Lord in the Eucharist. Yeah, and you are right now, you are convicting me too. And and I'm sure you're convicting a lot of our listeners. And I reflect back when you when you say that, I reflect back to a time when my kids were little and I remember going to a priest and saying, you know, I'm just so busy, I'm just so busy. I still am busy, I still am really busy. But he looked at me and he said, you know, Kelly, Satan doesn't just catch you doing bad, he also catches you doing good. And boy, that has stuck with me all these years. Um, yeah, because the Lord has to be the center. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I think Father Jared Conradi, I remembered in my, my early years of, of prayer and action and just kind of coming to know him. Shoot, what was the. Uh, he says, don't let yourself get caught up and doing all things for the Lord, that he no longer is the Lord of all things, or mm-hmm. something along that, that line. It was just a powerful statement that I think we as Christians struggle with, is that we want to do so much good, or, or as Father Drew Hoffman, our former associate, would say, so you, you know what the reward is in the Church for good work, more work. God, <laughs> 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 they're going to continue to invite you to, to, to do more. Yeah. And so, in the end, I guess the way to solve that problem is to do so much work that you forget about the Lord of all things, because you're doing all things for the Lord, that eventually you are no longer doing good work, because you're bogged down, you don't have time. The very, the very same Ryan O'Neill, who, who taught me kind of that simplified definition of grace, 
in our early years of the priesthood, we were both ordained the same year. He's now the, currently the vocations director for the Archdiocese of Denver. He's a good, good man. He really got after me because he was asking me, do, well, do you take any time for yourself? Do you take any leisure time? Do you take a day off? Do you take an afternoon off? And I was just explaining to him how, you know, I'm in a diocese that needs me and I have people that need me. And, and so, no, I'm not doing those things. And he just chastised me up one side and down the other. <laughs> and you are so selfish. You yeah. think you're so important to all these people that you're not even working to become better. You're so selfish. You got this hero mentality, this hero. Con- I mean, it was, he let me have it. And, yeah. and I needed it. I needed it. I needed somebody to call me out because I, I still need the Lord in the Eucharist save my life. I could very easily throw my life away and, and easily do so simply by trying to do all things for the Lord that I forget about the Lord of all things. We need to take a short break right now, but don't change that dial. We'll be right back with more about how the Eucharist saved my life with Father Gail Hammerschmidt. We're back on Double-Edged Sword, cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture on Divine Mercy Radio. Father Gail Hammerschmidt. How the Eucharist saved my life. Kelly Roper conducts the interview. We're going to go back to Father Gale. What a story he is sharing with us about how the Eucharist saved his life. And, and we just determined it's continuing to save his life and all of our lives. You know, the, the Eucharist, boy, I'm telling you, how many vocations have come from men who are invited to go to spend time in Eucharistic adoration. And that's where they hear the call to the priesthood. Uh, it really, you know, I hear that so often talking with priests. So, so let's Go ahead and talk with Father Gale. I hope I didn't just steal any of your thunder of your stories here, Father. So, so um, you did perfect lead in. Perfect, <laughs> perfect lead, lead in. in. All right, Holy Spirit, yeah. come yeah. right. So because so. Of the, right. Go ahead. The interesting thing that that we speak about and and how it was eventually, you know, in that Adoration Chapel at seven dollars here in manhattan when i was teaching at manhattan catholic schools that i realized my life would be okay if i started saying yes to the lord it was in that very same chapel that i've been after i returned from my summer mission in, in mississippi uh, i realized hey i'm probably being called to to something even more than being a school teacher at a catholic school i think i'm, I'm probably being called to, to the priesthood and so I remember there would be times, there would be days where I'd go in at 9 o'clock on a Thursday evening and feeling pretty good about myself, and maybe I just started dating some new, young, fantastic lady, and I was ready to, to show up to tell the Lord about this wonderful woman that I was now dating. And, mm-hmm. and I remember a couple times in, in particular where I would walk in with that mindset, and it wouldn't even be an hour later when I would be walking out of that same chapel mm-hmm chuckling to myself, uh, saying, oh, no, <laughs> I'm going I'm to be a priest, ain't I? Right? And, and, and it was a wild thing because I was like, I was frightened by the thought of it, but more so I was overjoyed by the potentiality of it, that the Lord might be calling me to be one who, who consecrates Eucharist, that, that, that turns bread 
wine into his true body, blood, soul, and divinity, so as to be able to have even Eucharistic adoration, or, or so as to be a, a dispenser of the grace that God desires to give, to, to allow the Lord in a powerful way to live within the lives of others. And every time I say Mass, every time I distribute Holy Communion, that's what's happening, whether, whether people know it or not, that's just what's happening. And it's so powerful, and so the Eucharist truly is not only saving my life, but it's saving the world. There's no more profound way in which grace enters a human soul than, than through sacraments and, and the pinnacle of it all, the Eucharist. So, so yeah, definitely. And, and I remember it was Bishop Coakley, who's now the, what, the Archbishop of Oklahoma City, who was the bishop at the time that I entered the seminary, and, and I, I remember telling him my story, and he just chuckled to himself, and he said, yet again, Eucharistic adoration mm, mm. leads to vocation. Yeah. And, and so I totally encourage every everybody, but especially young men and women who are trying to figure out what it is that the Lord desires for them to do as far as a vocation throughout life, to, to just get into the, the adoration chapel. And if there's not an adoration chapel in your town, find a way to just go sit in a, in a church in the near proximity of a tabernacle, which is a box in which we hold uh, <laughs> leftover hosts yeah. after the Mass. <laughs> just to be in the presence of the Lord, even within a tabernacle, it's so powerful. It can save your life. It can direct your life. It can show you what the Lord has for your life. And so never be afraid of just spending time with the Lord. Never be, never be afraid of that. Maybe a, a final story. At the time that I, I decided to go to the seminary. I knew that that was what the Lord wanted. I had spoken with, with Bishop Coakley. I said, yes, I'm in. I'd even made the announcement to the school kids that I was teaching. I said, okay, um, this is going to be tough, but I, I got to tell you, I was nine years a teacher. I said, I'm not coming back next year. And, uh, you know, it was one of those beautiful moments where, where the the children, the kids, the students were in tears. Mm. At first, they didn't believe me. They thought I was just joking because I was a bit of a prankster and a jokester. Yeah. <laughs> it was hard to make <laughs> them believe yeah. that I was telling the truth, that I was leaving to go to the, the seminary. Um, but it was an interesting thing because I'd never visited a, a seminary prior. I hadn't. Uh, I'd, I said yes to go in the seminary. I told the bishop I'm in. This was uh, in April. And uh, it was right around the time, it was around the, the very days in which John Paul II died. I said yes to, to Bishop on, on a Thursday, and John Paul II died on, on the mm. following Saturday, two days later. And I remembered even speaking to, to Bishop Coakley about how powerful that was to me to have said yes underneath the, the papacy of John Paul II. That, that I could consider myself to be a John Paul II uh, yeah. priest. And, um, and then he died two days later. So this is kind of give you a, just a, an idea of the time frame in which I was making this announcement to the, the students. I remember praying for the intercession of John Paul II, actually sitting there praying intensely before uh, an image of John Paul II, just asking him for strength and for courage, right immediately before I then started making the announcement to first the eighth graders and then the seventh graders and the sixth graders. It was one of the more difficult things I'd ever done, and, and there was tears 
in their eyes and and all of that had taken place so it was a difficult thing to do i made the announcement i'm going to the seminary and it was the next day then it was the next day that i actually got in a car with a couple other young men who were already seminarians at conception seminary they were college seminarians and they were heading to denver colorado where we were all going to go to seminary that's where we were you know going to be studying and I remember that drive there, and then I remember being there in that first hour, hour and a half, being at the seminary, and just having this overwhelming feeling of, what are you doing here? You've made a tragic error. This is the biggest mistake of your life. <laughs> you, you're such a fool. You don't belong here. Uh, this isn't your place. Oh. What are you doing? All of that was just crushing me. I remember even going up into the room that they had assigned to me to be staying in for the next couple of days and, and writing those words down. I think I've made a tragic error. And five o'clock that afternoon, what did they have on our, our schedule? Really the first oh. thing. Five o'clock that afternoon, adoration. adoration. And the same deal. I walked out of adoration an hour later, totally comfortable, at peace, mm-hmm. knowing that that was not the voice of God telling me I shouldn't have been there. Uh, but then when I was in, in close proximity to the Lord in adoration, His voice was able to, to prevail. And I walked out of there, and, and really, from that moment on, yeah. I mean, not, not that it was easy. There was times. There were days. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I never really doubted again that I was called to be a priest. And um, praise God. Praise God for, for this call. Praise God that I get to live this abundant life that I live. And praise God that uh, at all the right times and all the right moments, it just so happened that I <laughs> kind of my hand was dealt that I needed to go and spend time before him that yeah. he could speak to me in the yeah. silence because how, how powerful silence can be. You know, don't, don't take your phones into adoration with you or if you do put it on silent mode just so that you can, you know, whatever, read the liturgy of the hours, the prayers that you've already pre-planned to read. But don't be texting people. I'm, I'm talking to myself now, by the way, in case you're wondering. <laughs> yeah. And to all of us, all of us, yeah. That's yeah. so pertinent that it can't wait until you get out of the chapel. And if it's that pertinent, somebody will find you in the chapel. Right. But yeah, praise God. Praise God. Yeah. Hey, uh, let, me, let me say one more thing, because I, I know that our, our time is winding down. I, uh, I hang with college kids. That's what I primarily do. And, and Catholic radio matters. But these college kids, they don't know what the radio is. They don't. Mm. And, uh, and that's okay, because Divine Mercy Radio is already ahead of the game. Mm. You're ahead of the game. And even like right now, I know that I'm with you, and here we are. It's 8.53 a.m. as we speak. And, and people, maybe, maybe some of them are in their car driving. A lot of them are already at work. And so I know in the past I've been on the 7 o'clock hour, and people say, well, I listened to you as I drove to work. But the people are working right now. Divine Mercy Radio, you're ahead of the game, and you're doing a great job because you're able to uh, have this playing throughout the day on Facebook, and, and I know that, that as the day continues and even in these next couple of days, all of the people that you've been interviewing, are, people are going to be able to listen to them into the future. That's amazing. Another thing I want, I want to tell people, learn about the Divine Mercy Radio app on mm-hmm. your phone. Mm-hmm. Every kid that, that I, I talk to, they've you know, got their phone hooked up to their, their automobile, and whatever's going on on their phone, that's how they're listening to things as they drive. And so as you're listening to podcasts, 
kids, as anybody's listening to the, you know, you're listening to the, the fabulous Kanza Catholic podcast, uh, <laughs> which is Father Drew Hoffman and myself. But what but was the podcast live, again? Say that again. It's called, yeah, it's called Kanza Catholic. Kanza meaning like the, okay. the kind of the ancient name of Kansas, K-O-N-Z-A, the K-K-O-N-Z-A, Kanza Catholic. And we just have a podcast, Father Drew Hoffman, my former associate, he's the the chaplain at Wichita State. I'm the chaplain here at Kansas State. And so we just have a little podcast that we do, and, and people like to listen to that. Our students say that they listen to that. But you can also get the app for Divine Mercy Radio. Students, do that. Listen to that. Mm-hmm. And, and we don't know what to listen to. Turn on the, the Catholic Radio app, and, and you can hear whatever is being broadcast on the radio through that app. So many of the, the Q&As that are a part of EWTN and, and, and the good things that are going on right there in the, in the studio in Hayes or wherever it might be. I'm so elated that we've got Catholic Radio now in Salina and yeah. Great Bend and that, that you got, you're got you expanding. And what a, what a beautiful thing that is. I always talk with Father Andy Hamakey. What does he say? He says that part of the reason he's a priest, Catholic Radio. Yeah. Catholic Radio, absolutely. So praise God. Praise God for every one of your efforts. Um, don't Don't put so much effort in that you forget to pray and spend time with the Lord in adoration. But yeah. continue your efforts. I applaud you. I absolutely applaud you. Well, what other kind of questions? I know we got a few minutes left. What other questions might you have for me? You know, I just, I absolutely love everything that you shared. And, you know, I, I want to go back to, you know, at the very end where you were, were talking about how important the silence of adoration is. So I want you to talk a little bit about that because we are in a busy world where we really don't have much silence. And, and, you know, it's it's in the silence that we hear, you know, that we hear the Lord. And, and so can you talk a little bit about that? Let's talk about silence. My spiritual director, I talk about how my spiritual director is always getting after me. Even another thing he said to me is like, you know, you always talk about, well, I'm going to pop in for 10 minutes or 15 minutes. He said, it takes you 15 minutes just to silence yourself. You can, You can't just go in there for 15 minutes after the busy life that you're living, Mother Gail. You've got to get in there for more than 15 minutes. Just because it takes your heart and your energies and your emotions, sometimes 10 or 15 minutes just to calm down enough to be in the right space to hear the Lord. That's why it's why maybe a holy hour at an adoration chapel or, or just being dedicated to spending time, like I said, near the Lord uh, and, and near the Eucharist in, in a tabernacle. In silence. Silence is so huge. And, and, and even if you can't do that, even if you can't get to the uh, tabernacle or the Eucharist, get to silence. Get to silence. Have a place mm-hmm. with uh, maybe an image of, of our, our Blessed Mother and the Lord, or even an image of the Eucharist yeah. that's present in, in a quiet corner in your house, your prayer corner. I know a lot of people just can't get out the way they would like to get out, and that's Catholic Radio does such a good job, and EW10 does such a good job of bringing the church and the Lord to people who have a hard time getting to the church. Wow, what a gift. What a gift. Silence can be. So I think the two of them go hand in hand, silence and the Eucharistic Lord. I think that's why we're seeing a a resurgence of of the power of the Eucharist and the power of of Adoration Chapel. I love that the church across the world is is kind of having what do we we call the Eucharistic revival, (laughs) if you will, this year. Yeah. And, and so the church is calling for that, and, and we need it. We need yeah. it. It'll save your life, people. It'll save your 
life. It'll save the world. I'm promising you. It will. It will. It will. It saved Father Gale. It can save us as well. And so, so we want to say a tremendous, tremendous thank you to you because you come on often. I mean, you have been on both times that I've been out here in Hayes. You've been on and uh, you were on for me in Wichita. I really appreciate that as well. And and you just give so much. And I know that was part of your story, too, is sometimes, you know, you give too much and, and uh, you have to be refreshed and, and fill your own bucket as well. So um, thank you for sharing so much of your personal story with us. Yeah, absolutely. But, but you know, when we're refreshed, when we pray, when we're with the Lord, all we want to do is give. All we want to do is celebrate. We want to rejoice in the goodness of He who who came to live among us, to die for us, to rise, to save us, to open the gates of heaven, and, and then to remain with us until the end of the age. And how does He remain with us? Obviously, spiritually, but also physically, right there in every tabernacle and every Catholic church across the world. Right. He's with us. He's absolutely with us. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. All right. Well, um, we are going to, if you would would uh, be kind enough to give us your blessing out through here in the studio and out through the airwaves, I will kneel down for that blessing. Absolutely. Almighty God, we ask that you send your blessing down upon your holy people, that you provide them with every joy and consolation as they recognize your love and your salvation. We pray this blessing, Father, the Son. And the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to Double-Edged Sword Cutting to the Heart of a Deceptive Culture. Family, heaven is not seen, but we know it is real. Likewise, these airwaves are not seen, but we can hear them so we know they are real. So, if you want to save souls for heaven through these airwaves, go to dvmercy.com and click on donate or scroll down and find the address to send a check and may God bless you you're listening to Divine Mercy Radio if today you hear his voice harden not your heart